The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. How are you now? How are you now? It's been a while, hasn't it? I mean, uh, full week. Full week since we saw the Montreal Canadiens play after they eliminated the Winnipeg Jets to move on. And the week off was not what the doctor ordered, at least not for the Montreal Canadiens. They lose 4-1 in Game 1 against the Vegas Golden Knights. Welcome to episode 12 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes on the Prize. I am Matt Drake, and uh, that could have gone better. That definitely could have gone better. It did go better for the first, you know, what, eight minutes of the first period. Uh, the Habs looked like the better team. They were getting better chances. They were getting more shots. Uh, Macandre Fleury really had to work for the first little bit of that first period and worked well, I might add. But they, they just couldn't get anything. But they looked great. Like, honestly, in the first six, seven minutes of that period, I was like, wow, they, they could really take this game. Uh, of course, what, like nine minutes in, they ice the puck, goes down to the other end. Vegas wins the faceoff, gets it over to Shea Theodore. He blasts one, and it's one nothing Vegas. Sportsnet clocked that shot and said that it was 108 miles per hour, which is... Uh, that's a pretty hard shot, so can't really fault Carey Price for that one. Uh, Vegas is up one nothing, and that's how the first period ended. Habs played extremely well in the first period, outshot them, outchanced them. Uh, couldn't ask for a better period overall. Certainly gave you a little bit of hope going into the second period, even though the Habs went into the second still trying to finish off a penalty kill uh, that they were killing off since the end of the first and, of course, as much hope as they gave you, uh, Ben Sherratt takes one of the more ridiculous penalties. I, I hate to go off on a tangent, but I have to mention this. I hate that rule. Ben Sherratt, just inside his own blue line, just inside his own blue line, while killing a penalty, shoots it all the way down to the other end of the ice and happens to uh, somehow manage to clear the glass all the way at the end boards on the other side of the ice. I hate that rule. There's no way he did that intentionally. I honestly don't think that players in general intentionally clear the glass, even when they're not killing a penalty. And I certainly don't think that they do it by shooting it all the way to the other end. If you're going to try to clear the glass, you're not going to do it intentionally by shooting it all the way over the glass at the complete opposite end of the ice. So that's my tangent. I hate that rule. I think they need to change it, make it more similar to icing, and just have it be that you're not allowed to change, and the face-off obviously comes back into your zone. But I digress. The Habs killed that penalty off anyways. They killed off the short five-on-three, and then they killed off the rest of Sherratt's penalty. However, 
They were unable to regroup at the end of Sherratt's penalty, and the Knights get into the Hab zone. Uh, Shea Theodore this time fakes a slap shot. He makes everybody think that that big bomb that he had in the first was coming again. Slides it over to Alec Martinez. Martinez has basically a wide open net because Price got aggressive uh, on the Theodore fake shot. And just like that, it's 2-0. But the Habs would get one back. They would get one back. They get a power play of their own. Cole Caulfield hasn't scored all playoffs yet. He's been playing setup man. Been getting some assists. But he gets one of his own. He gets an opportunity uh, on his off wing. Hits the side of the net. Then he gets almost like a a carbon copy of the first opportunity. And this time he makes zero mistake. Puts it in. Two to one. Habs have life. But 53 seconds later, Matthias Janmark scores. And it's three to one Vegas. They restore their two goal lead. Uh, Not feeling too good at that point. Not feeling too good. Especially considering they just got a big goal to bring it back within one. They give it right back less than a minute later. Uh, Not a good look. Not a good look. Uh, Especially considering it was another goal that came directly off a face-off win for the Knights. Uh, Keep that in mind. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well for sure. But that was how the second period ended. Golden Knights up 3-1. Heading into the third. The second period strikes again for these Habs. I mean, it was a problem against the Leafs in round one. It was much less of a problem towards the end of round one and throughout the series with the Jets, but it has clearly reared its ugly head again um, for these Habs, and hopefully they can figure out a way to come back from that. Third period, uh, Habs started, for whatever reason, randomly relying on the stretch pass to try and generate offense. Just did away with everything they were doing well in the first period, in the first half of the first period, particularly to generate offense and trying to go for stretch passes. It wasn't really working. They weren't really getting much in the way of shots. About halfway through the period, Nick Holden scores. It's 4-1 Vegas now, and now the Habs are really desperate. Still not really able to generate much until they pulled Price. Once they pulled Price and they went up uh, with a 6-on-5, they started getting shots back. You know, Shots were pretty close to equal by the end of the game, but they did a lot of their shooting at the end of that period when Price was out of the net um, and in the first period. So really it was uh, once again a case of the Habs having 20 good minutes and the rest of the game being pretty pedestrian. And against a team like the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, a pedestrian 40 minutes... And a good 20 minutes is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. They're going to have to figure out a way, the same as they did against the Leafs in round one, to extrapolate that good 20 minutes out to a full 60. And they'll have to do it quick because uh, they're right back in action on uh, Wednesday night. So not a lot of time to figure that out, but uh, they're going to have to do it. So, you know, what did we learn? What did we learn from game one? I think what I learned from game one at least from the first period, is that the Habs are closer to this Vegas team than anybody gave them credit for. They can play with them. If Fleury doesn't make a bunch of saves in the first period, the Habs could have gotten out of that frame with a lead. You know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, but uh, honestly, that's, that's my number one takeaway, is that those first 20 minutes were great. 
And if you can figure out how to, again, extrapolate that to a full 60, they have a chance of beating this team over the course of seven games. So, I mean, that's my number one takeaway. Number two, uh, on the positive side, the power play looked great. It looked great. If they can get the the Knights to take some penalties and uh, they can capitalize on those, it's going to be huge throughout the rest of this series for sure. Uh, Cole Caulfield getting involved, scoring some goals would be massive. Uh, that's what he does best. And he looked great uh, when they had the six on five at the end of the game too. He was getting some quality shots on that, but Fleury was was there. I mean, <clears throat> honestly, if you look at the power play and those first 20 minutes, huge positive signs that you know there's legitimately a much better chance than anybody was giving this team that they could win the series. Unfortunately, we also have to look at the uh, at the negatives, and there were definitely a few. Uh, number one, as I alluded to earlier, was the plays off the faceoff. Uh, Vegas is clearly running some set plays off of faceoffs in the offensive zone that the Habs don't have an answer for. They just don't. I mean, they scored two big goals. Uh, off of faceoffs, directly off of faceoffs, on what appeared to me at least to be set plays. The Theodore goal, obviously, that one gets up to the point. He just unleashes a ridiculously hard shot that beats Price through traffic. And then the, the Janmark goal as well. Uh, another set play right off of a faceoff that gets down, Price moving laterally, unable to stop it. They're going to have to figure out how to defend against those. And. It seems like either they need to send out Philippe Dano for every single defensive zone draw and hope that he wins it and then have him go back to the bench if it's not his shift. Or they need to get everybody better at defensive zone faceoffs, tie them up, uh, try to make it harder for them to actually get into their set plays off of those faceoffs because that was two goals that were preventable. If you either win the face-off or tie them up properly so they can't get into whatever it is that they're trying to do. I mean, obviously, need to be better on that front. Need to not ice the puck. Need to not necessarily freeze the puck all the time looking for a break and play. Because obviously, Vegas is going to feast on that. And uh, lastly, on the negative side, uh, the lateral movement by Vegas. Going to have to figure out how to be better positioned defensively against that. Because... The other two goals they scored were based on, you know, excellent lateral movement. Moving the puck sideways, getting Price to move, and, you know, creating open space to shoot at as a result of that movement. I mean, I think Price on both of the goals, on the Martinez goal and also on the Holden goal, I think he cheated a little bit. I think he was cheating to what he thought was going to be the shot coming, and then they moved it laterally, and, and he had to try to adjust and just didn't have enough time to do it. Um, I think, on a positive note, I think he'll do less of that next game now that he knows that Vegas is banking on him doing those little cheats. But, uh, I mean, the, the team in front of him also has to be better about covering those open guys. You can't have somebody standing completely open on the other side like that when you know that that's what they're trying to do, that they're trying to get it across to get that lateral movement and to get the net opened up a little bit more for them to shoot at. It is a tried and true way of scoring goals to create that lateral movement before shooting and the the Habs are going to have to be better at defending that. And uh, speaking of 
defending that, uh, since we're on the subject of defending, the Habs badly need Jeff Petrie to get back into the lineup. I don't know if he's going to be ready for Game 2. I don't even think they know if he's going to be ready for Game 2 as of yet. But they, they badly need him back. Like, And I'm not sure who comes out of the lineup, but it's one of Brett Kulak or Alexander Romanov. Uh, Romanov, he had a pretty tough game. He had a pretty tough game. Um, he didn't make any super glaring errors, but like statistically, he got pretty shelled while he was out there. He had a great hit in the first period on Alex Petrangelo. Uh, open ice hit, sat him down. Everybody was going nuts about it on Twitter, and even the building went nuts. I mean, but uh, other than that hit, he had a pretty rough night. The only person who had a rougher night, and the person who I think is probably going to get taken out of the lineup for Petrie if he happens to be available, is Brett Kulak. Brett Kulak, uh, I, I don't know what he was thinking at times on the night. I mean, he took a tripping penalty in the second period on Chandler Stevenson. And he had a perfect, and I mean perfect, angle to go in and take the body. Stevenson was coming in on the right wing. Um, and Kulak had him lined up like he was about to go in for the hit. And then for no reason, he inexplicably cut back like kind of towards the middle and went for a poke check and ended up putting his stick directly under his skate and tripping him. I was watching it and screaming at my television, why did you not go for the hit? I mean, he looked like he was going for it and all of a sudden cut back and then decided to go for a poke check. Like, And that wasn't the only moment on the night where I was screaming at my TV about Brett Kulak, but... Um, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and dump on him too much or dump on Romanov. It's it's clear that one of those two needs to come out of the lineup. I would have thought I would be saying this about Eric Gustafson, but for him, I would like to see him stay in, to be honest. But this team needs Petrie back because right now they're basically playing with three defensemen. They're basically playing with three defensemen. They have Shea Weber, looking great, by the way, uh, Ben Sherratt, and Joel Edmondson. And that's it. The, the The other three are, like, Gustafson is, he's not really a defenseman, right? He's he's there to generate offense, for the most part, help the power play. Um, Romanov, is, he's still super green. I, I love him as a player, but he still needs some work. And this is a tough task to ask him to do as a young defenseman in the NHL. And Kulak, I mean... I, I don't know. I, I've always thought pretty highly of him as a player, but last night, it was, it was not a good night for him. They need Petrie back, and, you know, if if he happens to be available for Game 2, which I hope he is, uh, but at this point, we don't know. My money, honestly, for me, I would be taking out uh, Kulak. I'd take out Kulak, i put Petrie back in, and see what that gets you. Hopefully, you can get a little bit better at defending that lateral movement because that's going to be a big step that and the face-offs obviously uh the face-offs i honestly don't have a suggestion other than send out philip dano every time and hope that he can win them but once again i digress uh they have to win game two i mean i said it before the series i think they have to get one of the two games in vegas uh, in order to give themselves a real chance in this series if they want to win you got to get just one of them right Obviously, you didn't get game one. You got to try and go out and get game two. 
I don't think their crowd is providing that much of a boost for them. I don't think it is. At multiple points during that game, you could hear an audible Go Habs Go chant coming from that crowd. There are Montreal Canadiens fans in Vegas for this series. And they're loud. They're making themselves heard. I mean, I don't know how much impact that can really have on the outcome of the series that Habs fans are getting into their building, but it definitely takes away a a little bit from their home ice advantage. So got to go out there, hopefully that it makes some kind of a difference in game two, and they can take that one, bring it back to Montreal with a split. Uh, That would be huge. Take away home ice advantage. I mean, what more can you ask for? Here's hoping, right? That does it for uh, today's episode. We're running, uh, ooh, we're getting over 17 minutes this time. So, vraiment une grosse soirée, soirée énorme pour les employés de soutien. Uh, thank you for listening. We are on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, uh, Megaphone. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a line. Hopefully, we get a little bit of a better game out of the Montreal Canadiens in Game 2. Hopefully, we get that full 60 that I keep alluding to. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be on Wednesday night. So, as always, à la prochaine.